are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me today is my co-host, Cindy Johnson, Operations Manager for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. We are recording this episode of Lighthearted at the beginning of June, but people will be hearing it a little bit later in mid-June. It's scheduled for June 15th. We're still in the age of social distancing due to the COVID-19 pandemic, although things are starting to reopen here in New Hampshire. Cindy, uh, you and I would normally be getting into the open house season at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, but not this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead I'm here at my home in Portsmouth and you're at your home in Newmarket, New Hampshire, and we are recording this via Skype. I miss the lighthouse, but even more than that, I miss you and all our volunteers, Cindy. Oh, me too. Memorial Day weekend was different in so many ways this year. And at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, we would have held our first open house of the season that Sunday. We haven't given up on the hope that maybe we'll be able to have some open houses later this season, but I know a lot of other lighthouse groups around the country are experiencing the same sort of feelings of loss that we are. So our heart goes out to all our lighthouse friends around the country, but things will eventually get back to normal, hopefully sooner than later. That's right. But anyway, uh, for this episode of Lighthearted, we're actually heading across the pond to the UK, uh, Scotland to be exact. And this is the first of two episodes that we're actually releasing within a few days uh, in the same week that are based around subjects in Scotland. A little later in today's episode, we're also gonna talk with my friend Dwight Berry about lighthouses back here uh, in the Chesapeake region of the US. But first, we're going to visit the North Carr Lightship in Scotland for an interview with Sam McKillop, who is the project administrator for the North Carr Lightship. We've touched on lightships before on this podcast, but for people who might not be familiar with the term, A lightship or light vessel is a ship that acts as a lighthouse built for use in waters that are too deep or otherwise unsuitable for lighthouse construction. There were floating beacons that used fire going back to ancient Rome, but the first modern light vessel was at the mouth of the River Thames in England in 1734. The first lightship in the United States was established in 1820, and the last one went out of service in 1985. Today, out of 56 stations and 168 total light vessels built in the United States, only 15 still exist. They're even more rare in the UK. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about the North Car Lightship and Sam McKillop. Of course, Jeremy. The North Car Lightship is the last remaining light vessel in Scotland. An unlighted beacon was first placed on the North Car Rocks, 1.7 miles off Fife Ness on the southeast coast of Scotland in 1821. The first light vessel stationed near the North Car Rocks was a wooden ship 100 feet long that went on station in 1887. Only two years later it was replaced by a more substantial vessel 104 feet long with frames of oak and planking of teak with a hull sheathed in copper. The third and final North Car Lightship was built in Glasgow for the Northern Lighthouse Board in 1933. It is 101 feet in length. Its dominant feature is its light tower surmounted by a lightning conductor 40 feet above the sea. 
At one time, a fixed white light was shown. The beam of half a million candle power was visible for over 10 miles. The other primary feature is a large foghorn that, when needed, gave out two blasts every minute and a half. It could be turned to any point of the compass and could be heard more than 10 miles away. During a storm in December 1959, the vessel broke adrift from its moorings. Unfortunately, during a rescue attempt, all eight members of a life-saving crew lost their lives when their lifeboat overturned in St. Andrews Bay. After its retirement in 1975, the lightship was sold to the Northeast Fife District Council in July 1976, and it became a floating museum based in Anstruther Harbor. Then, in January 2002, it was moved to Victoria Dock in Dundee for use by the Maritime Volunteer Service as a base for meetings and training. In 2010, the organization was on the verge of scrapping the vessel when the current owners, Tamara, a Dundee-based maritime charity, stepped in and took ownership. The North Car Lightship is currently at Dundee's Victoria Dock. The ship's hull is a source for concern as the ravages of time and salt water continue to affect the integrity of the 86-year-old structure. Due to corrosion of the hull plating, the vessel has experienced periods of flooding and a lack of ventilation has resulted in most of the wooden fixtures and fittings becoming damp and swollen. The work to stabilize the vessel is well underway. Meanwhile, funds are being raised for a detailed examination of the hull and subsequent repairs and refurbishment. Sam McKillop is the project administrator and engineering lead for Tamara's NC100 project, which is the restoration project of the North Car Lightship. I had the pleasure of speaking with Sam via Skype in April. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking via Skype with Sam McKillop of Tamara's NC100 project, which is the restoration project for the North Car Lightship. Sam, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Jeremy. First of all, let me mention that we are speaking on April 17th, and we are in the midst of the social distancing and all the other measures that have been taken because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So how are things going for you in Scotland, Sam? It's very surreal, I would say. The social distancing has now been in place for three weeks. And uh, I think both my wife and I are quite fortunate. We've travelled quite a bit, especially on ships. And uh, we're kind of used to being confined. So uh, I think we're dealing with it better than some. Well, that's good. I was uh, over there, by the way, in 2017. I didn't quite make it to Dundee, where where the uh, lightship is. I was in the Edinburgh area, and we made it a little bit north of... uh, of Edinburgh, but not not quite to uh, the River Tay. That's where the the lightship is. Is that correct? That's correct, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, but I uh, hope to make it back to that area and maybe see the lightship the next time I, I get over there. So, Sam, if we could, I'd like to start with a little bit of the the history of the lightship. For people like me who might not know a lot of Scottish geography, can you explain a little bit about where the lightship was stationed uh, in its active days? and why a lightship was needed at that location? Well, the, the North Car uh, lightship actually sits on the North Car shoals, shoals, and that's midway between the Forth River and the Tay River, so somewhere between Edinburgh and Dundee. 
the reason for them putting the lightship there was because a number of ships had run aground. Uh, this North Car is the third of a series, the first two being timber vessels. But unfortunately, with the area, uh, due to the, 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 the substructure around uh, being very sandy, uh, they were unable to install an actual uh, lighthouse. Uh, the Stevenson brothers did try, but it, it didn't work. Uh, so Northcar light vessel was put out there, as I say, two timber vessels. And then in 1933, the Northcar, the one that Tamara owns, uh, took up station through until the mid-70s. And the Northcar station uh, was only one of two lightship stations in Scotland waters, is that right? That's correct. Uh, they, they had a second vessel, I think it was the Abertee, uh, but she's since been scrapped quite some time ago. So let's let's talk a, a bit about uh, life on board the lightship. How how many crew were on the North Car lightship? Uh, effectively, she had a complement of about eleven. There was two navigation officers. Uh, although the vessel didn't move, there was a captain and a mate, a chief engineer, a cook, and a number of engineers. Uh, the vessel uh, is fixed by anchors, so she had moored up permanently and would only ever been taken off the station every two years. They effectively worked three weeks on, three weeks off uh, on the vessel, and the guys were rowed out or, or taken out by boat from the, the Fife coast. The headquarters for the Northern Lighthouse Board would have been situated just to the east of Edinburgh. What was life like on board the lightship? And, and uh, could you tell us a little bit about the typical duties that the men had uh, on board the lightship? Okay, uh, the, the original vessel, when she went out in 1933, uh, was probably devoid of quite a lot of the comforts you would expect. So, for example, there was no hot water on board. The galley range uh, was uh, fired by coal. So the guys had duties of going and collecting the, the coal from the, the coal bunker, which is quite a distance forward. Water had to be pumped up by hand. So they would have to take the water from a tender onto the vessel and then they would pump that by a, a semi-rotary pump up to the galley area. The toilet and the shower were outside. So it uh, even in the worst of weather, you had to go outside to go to the loo. Shift-wise, they, they ran on two shifts. There was a, an open deck house on the upper deck of the vessel where the navigation officer would keep watch and the engineers effectively would look after the lights, uh, the equipment for charging the batteries and all the ancillary equipment to go with the vessel. Let's uh, jump ahead a little bit to, to World War II. Uh, could you say a bit about how the vessel was used during World War II? Yes, the vessel was actually taken off station. Uh, she sits on the east coast of Scotland, around about the central belt, and the vessel was then taken right round uh, the UK and actually took up position between Ireland and Scotland. And she marked the waypoint for the, uh, the convoys that went between the US, Canada and the UK. Uh, she also acted as a weather station and she took on the role of a spotter, so she would look out for enemy aircraft, enemy shipping, submarines, etc. She had a small uh, number of armaments on board, uh, mostly machine guns and anti-aircraft uh, guns as well, and she had additional crew on board for that. 
And after the war, uh, one of the most <laughs> memorable uh, incidents uh, occurred in December 1959. I believe the, the ship actually parted from its anchor, and there was a very sad incident uh, connected with, with that. Could you tell us about that? That's true. Uh, it was a very severe storm went through the, the North Sea in uh, 1959, the December, and the vessel basically split from her moorings, so she, she came adrift. At the time, she was drifting onto rocks, uh, and because North Carr doesn't have any propulsion, she was at the mercy of the wind and waves. So it uh, was felt as though the vessel was going to uh, founder on the rocks. A call was put out to the, the lifeboats, uh, and in the UK, the lifeboats are actually run by a full volunteer crew. Uh, they're not like the, uh, the marine side in the States. So... Uh, these guys set off. Two of the lifeboats didn't go, but the one from Broughty Ferry, which is to the east of Dundee and the north of North Carr, set off. And unfortunately, she turned uh, into the shallower waters around the south side of the Tay. She capsized and all hands were lost on the vessel, which was just around St Andrews Bay, where the, the golf courses are. North Carr managed to get an anchor out and managed to stop her, her drift and in the morning uh, a helicopter came out and took the guys off the vessel. What a sad story. Now, so that was uh, just over 60 years ago so I wonder, I'm wondering if any of the, the men involved in that incident are still alive. And to the uh, second part to that question, has your organization been able to contact uh, any of the men who served on the lightship and uh, at either involved in that incident, or just in general, have you been in contact with any men who served on the lightship? We have been in, uh, in contact with some of the families. I think in the early days when North Carr uh, was decommissioned, so in the 70s, uh, a number of the guys who lived in the Fife area uh, were very interested in the vessel, and for quite some time she took up location in Anstruther and was actually a floating museum. I know myself that myself and my children had visited her uh, back in the 80s, but uh, she basically ran out of money and uh, she was moved on. She arrived in Dundee and she became the headquarters for what they called the Maritime Voluntary Service in Dundee. The vessel didn't get a lot of uh, TLC uh, during that period and in the end, MVS decided to part ways with the vessel and an offshot from MDS, which became Tamara, took the vessel on uh, with the intention of fully refurbishing her. But this was uh, in 2010. Unfortunately, the plans to restore her have been frustrated. Uh, she's now in the Victoria dock in Dundee and she can't get out because the lock gates are now broken. So there's no way to get her out into a commercial shipyard to completely refurbish her. And the hull itself has not been maintained really since the 70s. So she's in quite poor condition. So for, tell, tell me a little bit more about uh, Tamara, uh, what the organization is. First of all, what does the name Tamara mean? Where does that come from? Well, it's, it's really uh, Tamara time. Um, so they've, they've taken it from the, the, the actual river they're, they're based on. River Tay and Maritime, yeah. those were the name. Yeah, from. and uh, Mara is also the, uh, the Gaelic word for sea. Okay, so uh, tell us a, a bit more about, uh, you, you mentioned uh, a little bit about it, but uh, more specifically, what are some of the problems that need to be fixed on the <clears throat> vessel? And I'm sure 
you could probably talk for a long time about that, but just what are some of the major problems that need fixing? The major problem with the vessel is that uh, she's had a little amount of money spent on her since the time she arrived in Dundee, probably about £40,000. But that in itself uh, was really cosmetic. What she really needs is dry docked. Um, the hull has a number of holes in it, which uh, the team and I have managed to get uh, some closing plates installed on. Uh, we've also done a hull thickness check and we've added some what we call cement boxes to the areas where the steel plates thinned. But really, the best thing for her is to move into a dry dock. We have identified a dry dock in the Dundee location and there is another vessel, a historic uh, Royal Naval vessel called the Unicorn, which is just about three, 400 metres uh, to the east of North Carr. And what we're hoping is that we can get both of the vessels in the dry dock. Uh, the dry dock itself looks in pretty good condition, uh, although it hasn't been used in a long time. But uh, the only problem is that the lock gates are very poor, but uh, we believe we can get the vessels in there and put a coffer dam round about the entrance and get her dried out. So really, until we can get North Car in, uh, the hull itself will have to take a back seat. At the moment, uh, we are working on refurbishing as much as we can of the vessel, uh, but obviously budget uh, finances is the main concern for us. By the way, before we spoke, I was looking on Google Maps, and I'm looking at it now. You can see the North Car Lightship and the HMS Unicorn near each other. If people are interested in seeing that, just get on uh, Google Maps and do a search for uh, Victoria Dock, uh, Dundee, Scotland, and you can uh, zoom right in on, on both the lightship and the HMS Unicorn. It's kind of fun to, to look at them that way. It's, you get a really good view of, of both vessels. So how much money is needed for restoration of the lightship at this point, would you say, roughly? It is more in the region of millions, uh, really mm -hmm. to refurbish her because not only do we have to refurbish the vessel but we'll have to do something with the dry dock itself. I have looked at the costs of lifting the vessel out but it costs around about three quarters of a million pounds mm -hmm. to have the vessel lifted out and put on the quayside if we could actually find a location that would take the, the loading because North Car itself is about 300 tonnes uh, and the, the dock in Dundee was built uh, you know, back in the 1800s, and it really isn't designed to take that sort of weight. So for us, the best option is really uh, the dry dock. Mm -hmm. So let's see, three quarters of a million pounds in U.S. dollars would be, I think, just about a million dollars at this point, some something like that. Yes, yeah, so it's cre creeping up towards that. I mean, for ourselves, uh, I've been working on the costing over the last month or so, but each of the spaces costs round about... £80,000 or $100,000 to strip back. We've got issues like asbestos on board. Uh, you can imagine it's a 1933 ship. Uh, we've also got all the paint is, contains lead. So it's not just a case of chipping off the paint. Uh, there's also the uh, disposal costs as well associated with it. So there's quite a bit of work uh, due to the hazards associated with the vessel that we've got to clear up as well, which of course ramps your costs up. Is there an active fundraising campaign happening right now? 
There is, uh, but obviously with coronavirus, it's really been put on a back burner. We had a five-year plan, uh, but in the last sort of weeks we've been talking about it. We had a significant flooding incident uh, between Christmas and New Year. That probably put the project back three months, but we can see the coronavirus putting the project back a significant amount of time. And we're asking the uh, the trustees of Tamara to look at moving the project ahead 12 months and delay the project as such. Unfortunately, it's like everything is, is moved back uh, yeah. significantly by uh, what's happening now. Things like public tours of, of museums and ships and everything else and lighthouses, uh, that's all uh, in question at this point, certainly for this, this coming season. But let's just pretend that the, uh, the whole uh, virus question is not part of the equation, but uh, otherwise, are tours of the lightship available to the public? We were going to open up in August. It's uh, the year of uh, rivers, uh, seas and waterfronts here in uh, Scotland. So the plan is to open it up for the two-week period for that and also open it up for the International Lighthouse uh, weekend. But uh, we feel that that may be impossible now because we may well still be in lockdown. Although we are keen to take round uh, sort of like-minded people. If people contact us and ask us for a look around the vessel, we're only too happy to do so. But we aren't sort of open up for the general public to come on board. It's more uh, enthusiasts, uh, people who are willing to uh, support us in any way have been coming on board. So probably since Christmas, we probably had about 40, 40 visitors on board. But uh, really, we're keeping the numbers down because, as you can imagine, it, it's more of a work site than a museum at the moment. Uh, how can people find find more information online about the lightship? Well, the easiest way is uh, we've, we have a website, which is nc100.org, uh, where the project team posts their information. Tamara themselves have a website with a link to us. Let me ask you, uh, before we, we wrap, wrap it up, uh, how did you personally get involved with the lightship? Well, my background is actually in marine and offshore engineering. Uh, I was a chief engineer at sea, uh, an offshore installation manager, a field manager, and I finished off uh, leading the health, safety, environment and assurance group uh, for a large international oil company. I retired early and I was looking for something to do and I've always wanted to get back and do something about marine engineering and it took me about two years to find Tamara but uh, it's been an interesting charity to work for. They, they do a lot of good work not only uh, with North Car but they have another number of vessels which we run and uh, we really target children with long-term illness, their siblings uh, we also work with the Scottish Prison Service, uh, returning people back into uh, the community. So th there's quite a lot going on. We're running a number of projects at the moment through it. So we're running uh, two 40-ton vessels, uh, some fast ribs and a, an old pilot cutter. So uh, these get people out on the water. We do a little bit of fundraising on them as well. We, we do paid trips occasionally but obviously this year it's going to be difficult so uh, it's uh, everyone's tightening their belt wow what a lot of good causes the organization is involved with i wasn't aware of all that that's that's really good yeah. to hear uh let me ask you one more question uh what have you enjoyed most about your personal involvement with the north car lightship i think really it's uh Getting back into a marine environment, uh, the history around the vessel is, is very interesting. 
but it's the team, it's the North Car team that I've really enjoyed working with. Uh, it, it's a mixed bag. We've got uh, ex-Royal uh, Navy. We've got people that are professional photographers, people that run printing companies, uh, people that work for the prison service. We've got a real mixed bag, surveyors, uh, other marine engineers. And it, it's been a, a very challenging place to work and the way that the individuals have come together and thought through the problems and come up with solutions has been very very good well that's great that's great to hear and uh congratulations on what's been accomplished so far and i wish you all the best with uh you know navigating the the tricky waters that we find ourselves in these days it's going to be a big challenge for everybody but i'm sure with the the excellent team you have that you'll find solutions it may uh, it's not going to happen all at once that's for sure for any of us but uh, I wish you all the best and I look forward to hearing about your progress in the coming years so uh, Sam McKillop thank you so much for spending this time with me today and uh, maybe uh, we can talk again in the future to hear about the progress you're making thank you so much Sam I really appreciate it thank you Jeremy all the best to you and stay safe Thanks again to Sam McKillop of the North Car Lightship. Before we wrap up today, we're going to introduce a new segment. Some of our listeners know that I used to have a little company called New England Lighthouse Tours. In fact, it was such a little company that I was the only employee. (laughs) For 11 years, I gave minivan tours for people from all over the world to lighthouses from my home base here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I provided tours for more than 1,300 people, and I've stayed in touch with some of them. One of the really great people I met on a tour was Dwight Berry, who lives near Baltimore, Maryland. Dwight is a dentist by trade, and he's a big lighthouse buff and an excellent photographer. He's also a great guy who's very enthusiastic about his lighthouse hobby. I thought it would be fun to bring Dwight onto the podcast to talk about his favorite lighthouses to visit and that kind of thing. So a few weeks ago, we got together via Zoom. In our first chat for the podcast, we talked about lighthouses close to his home around Baltimore. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking with my friend Dwight Berry, and we're speaking via Zoom, and today is May 5th, although uh, you're going to be hearing this later. The plan is uh, for people to be hearing this in the podcast uh, sometime in June. But uh, this is a new feature in uh, the podcast, and I will be speaking with Dwight now and then. And Dwight lives uh, near Baltimore, and he and I met a few years ago, and uh, we were just talking about when we met, and I said to Dwight, uh, what was it, about three years ago? And Dwight, you corrected me and said it was actually 2014, and that was... That's correct. That was amazing to me. Yeah, it was 2014. Tell our listeners how we first met. Uh, we went on a, it was a lighthouse tour. Um, it was actually a lighthouse tour that predominantly focused on the Portsmouth and the main area, Portsmouth and um, Cape Elizabeth. And what happened is I was going to take pictures and I wanted to do something that, you know, was different. So anyway, I ended up going on this tour and I saw wonderful lights and 
I saw a bug light and I got the bug. <laughs> Basically, that really made me want to start looking at lighthouses. And ever since then, I've seen hundreds so far. Literally, I love doing it. I love being outside. I love with my camera getting really great shots. And it's just fun. It's, it's a really wonderful hobby. Gets you to get outside, get fresh air. But at the same time, you get to learn a lot of the history of these lights. And that, to me, is what really keeps me interested. Yeah, yeah. I always warn people, be careful. The lighthouse bug is a, a good contagious disease. So uh, Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. I'll just mention the lighthouse tour you're talking about was uh, something that I, I did for 11 years. I ran something called the Wingland Lighthouse Tours based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So uh, you did one of those tours back in 2014 and we, we hit it off and we've stayed yeah. in touch ever since then. So stayed in touch ever since. So I'm happy you're uh, willing to share your enthusiasm for lighthouses uh, with me and with, your, with our podcast audience. And like I was saying, we uh, plan to do these, these segments now and then where you'll share your observations about lighthouses uh, you've visited. Uh, I just uh, love the idea of, of uh, somebody like yourself who loves visiting lighthouses as a hobby to talk about, you know, what lighthouses you enjoy visiting. And I thought because you live near Baltimore, Maryland, I thought maybe we'd start by talking a little bit about uh, some of the lighthouses in that that area close to where you live. So Dwight, could you tell us a little bit about uh, which lighthouses do you most enjoy? Which lighthouses would you recommend that people might want to see in that area? Okay, well, that's actually pretty easy. Um, I recommend that you go to the Baltimore Harbor area. And the reason why I recommend that is because if you go to the Baltimore Harbor, you actually have the opportunity to see three lights and a light ship. Uh, at the Baltimore Harbor, you have Seven Foot Knoll, which is one of my favorites. And that is a light that's very accessible because it's on the shore. I think it costs a dollar to go in, give you a nice little tour, and you're at the Baltimore Harbor, so there are other things you can do as well. But adjacent to the Seven Foot Knoll Lighthouse is the Chesapeake Lightship and you're also able to go into there. So that's like two big bangs for a, you know one trip. About 10 minutes from there, a 10 minute drive, maybe even less than 10 minutes, you have the um, Lazaretto Lighthouse. And that's another one that, although you can't go on the grounds to see that, you can see it from a distance. And if you take cruises, because there are little day cruises that you can take from the harbor, you can actually see it from the water. So if you go you know, to the Baltimore Harbor, you're able to see that. And then sometimes, depending on what time you go, they will actually take you out near Carroll Island, which is an actual jewel that a lot of people are not aware of, and it's a surprise. And you know, at some point, we can maybe talk a little bit more about the history of that, but that's actually a little bonus that you can get sometimes. So if you come to this area, the Baltimore Harbor area, you really get an opportunity to see, what, three lights and a light ship, and it's all not difficult to do. So that's one of the things that I, I would recommend. This is a very nice area for lights. And then if you get an opportunity, you can go a little further up, maybe about, I'd say, 30, 35 minutes from the harbor, and you can see uh, Jones Point Lighthouse. That's in Virginia, actually. That's underneath the Wilson Bridge wonderful area. It's in a um, park area. A lot of great history. 
and you'll also be able to have a really nice vantage point of uh, the new Maryland, it's called the um, Harbor of Maryland. There's another area there. That's a nice tourist area as well. What about Thomas Point Shoal isn't too far from there as, as well? Right? No. Now, Thomas Point Shoal, that's, that's the most, uh, I guess, famous lighthouse in the Chesapeake area. It's the only uh, screw pile lighthouse that still exists in its actual location. Beautiful house. I love it. That's one of my favorites. Um, it's not difficult to get a cruise there. You can go to Annapolis and they have several ships that leave out of Annapolis that go there. And wonderful history. It's a beautiful light. You often see that uh, on a lot of different pictures about Maryland and different uh, things related to the Chesapeake Bay. So that's not far. So I would say that if you want to see a diversity of lights, but it's not difficult to do, the Chesapeake area and the Baltimore Harbor area are definitely places you want to go. Now, speaking of Chesapeake, one of my other favorites is Sharps Island. That's the Chesapeake's leaning tower. That's like our little leaning tower of Pisa because it's leaning. I think it was in 1977, uh, there was an ice storm or something that caused it to lean and it still leans. So when you're approaching it, even from a distance, you can see this object that's leaning. And it's really cool because when you're close up on it, you're, it's kind of fascinating because you're looking at a lighthouse that's tilted, but it's still you know stationary. I love it. I often tell people that's one that you would like to see too, just from this point that you're seeing this tilted lighthouse. I understood that there was some talk about trying to shore it up to make sure it doesn't lean any further because they don't want it to fall and you know we don't want to lose the light. That's a great light too. And that's another one. If you go to a cruise from Annapolis, they have quite a few. You might get the opportunity to see some of the lights that are a little further out but they're accessible. Well, you know, it's, uh, I'm uh, lacking in my, uh, my knowledge and experience with the Chesapeake Lights, even though I actually lived in Hampton, Virginia for a while as a kid. I was an army brat, and we lived in, uh, in Hampton, Virginia for a while. But uh, I need mm-hmm. to explore the lights in that area. Maybe I can join you for uh, some visitations. Sure. I would like that. I would love for you to come, in, come this way. We'll have to do that sometime. Well, it's a pleasure spending some time with you today via Zoom. And uh, this year with the, the pandemic that's going on, everything might not be the best time for, for touring some of these lights, but maybe I'll see you next year. Yeah, I'd look forward yeah. to it. And you're always welcome. And this way now I can be the tour guide. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So we'll definitely do this again and talk about some more of your favorite lighthouses. So thank you very well, much, Dwight Berry. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you inviting me to this and I look forward to Talk to you You again. Discuss more. And you take take care. care. See ya. Thank you. We'll hear again from Dwight Berry in the future, and I also hope to chat with other people about their favorite lighthouses to visit, too. One more quick note about lightships. If you have any spare cash lying around, the Nantucket lightship, WLV612, is currently for sale on the Boston waterfront. It's owned by former Massachusetts State Senator Bill Golden, and the asking price is $4.95 million. (laughs) It's been remodeled and has five bedrooms, each with its own bath, a kitchen, den, dining room, and entertainment area. One of the bedrooms still has bunk beds that were used by the light ship crew, 
and it still has a working foghorn. I'd say it's the most luxurious light ship in existence. <laughs> wow. Sounds like a good place for a podcast studio. Yeah. Or maybe a, a nice uh, staycation. Sure. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Executive Director Jeff Gales and everyone at the U.S. Lighthouse Society's headquarters in Hansville, Washington. And thanks to all the staff, volunteers, board members, and members of the USLHS and all its chapters and affiliates across the country and across the world. Be sure to check out USLHS.org online, as well as the Facebook page, to learn about all the U.S. Lighthouse Society has to offer. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider a donation to the USLHS to help support it. I know times are tough these days, but please keep in mind that all donations are important. Even if you donate $5 to help support the podcast, it really makes a difference. Also, if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. In the next episode, you'll hear about the Museum of Scottish Lighthouses. That was a really fun interview to do, and that will be released three days after this episode. So be sure to listen for that. Thanks to everyone everywhere who works to preserve lighthouses or any kind of history. Everything you do is important and is appreciated. Keep up the good work. And remember that things will return to normal eventually. Hang in there. That's right. And to all our new listeners, as well as all our faithful listeners, thank you so much for your support. And as always, keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Shine, let it shine